Hello and welcome to our Trail Magic Podcast, where we seek to equip college students with resources, biblical teaching, and helpful conversations for the journey ahead. This summer, the focus of our College Connection teaching will be on the subject of prayer. The Gospels tell us this was the request of the disciples to Jesus and one of the central tasks of Jesus' earthly ministry. Join us all summer long for encouraging messages to help you grow in your prayer life as a believer. Let's hit the trail. All right, so as you're, uh, as you're sitting down, grab your Bibles. Uh, join me in John chapter 14. Join me in John chapter 14 tonight. As you can see, uh, I guess in just a minute, on the screen, uh, we're going to talk about praying in Jesus' name. Um, we're in our sermon series throughout the summer on prayer. And uh, John and I sat down and kind of crafted um, some general themes or topics we thought would be helpful to teach on. As we talk about prayer, so tonight we're going to talk about praying in Jesus' name. So John 14, 13 and 14 is where we're going to be. So go ahead and turn there because we'll read that together in just a moment. Uh, But a few weeks back, my kids got really into the new Aladdin movie. And by new, I mean the one out last year, you know, in 2019. The one with Will Smith where he plays a genie. Um, And I say a few weeks back, it might have been a few months back. I don't actually remember. The last four months have been kind of a weird blur. Um, I think you guys are smiling, but I can't really see behind your mask. <laughs> but uh, they watched this Aladdin movie like two or three times in like rapid succession. And uh, they absolutely love it. But you know the basic storyline of anything, you know, with Aladdin and the genie. Pretty much lowly street urchin discovers this lamp and finds out that uh, the genie pops out when he rubs it and he gets three wishes. And pretty much with just a few exceptions, the genie is obligated to give Aladdin or the owner of the lamp um, anything that he or she wants, excepting several, uh, several things. So when I first read this passage in John 14, I was probably in high school or something, maybe middle school. When I first read this passage uh, about Jesus saying, you know, when you pray things in my name, I'll give them to you. Um, I had seen the Disney version of Aladdin where Robin Williams plays the genie. Best genie of all time, period, man. Um, But I think I erroneously interpreted what Jesus says here to his disciples and by extension to us in John 14, kind of like the genie when he was talking about granting wishes, you know, pretty much that as we pray for something, if we tack on, in Jesus' name, amen, because pretty much that's how I said it, in Jesus' name, amen. If we tack that on at the end of our prayer, it's pretty much like, you know, rubbing the lamp, the genie pops out, and we're going to get what we want. But I would imagine you probably know by now that that's not what's taking place in John 14. Uh, that we're not talking about rubbing a lamp and getting three wishes. So for a few minutes uh, this evening, I want to ask and attempt to answer the question, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Because almost everyone, whether they're walking with God or not, if you were to call on them in some type of church service and say pray, guarantee you they would probably start out with heavenly father and end with in jesus name we've already talked about the heavenly father part so we'll talk about the in jesus name we're not just signing off on an email automatically you know what does it mean so we're going to start by reading at the beginning of chapter 14 because i want you to get some context for jesus's statement here because if you don't have context it really doesn't make any sense so let's read john 14 together um Start in verse 1. John 14, verse 1 says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the place, or you know the way, rather, to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, that's like, listen up, pay attention. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. That's an important part of this passage and understanding this statement Jesus is about to make. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, again, he says, I will do it. So the thing we need to remember is this passage is called the farewell discourse. It's a conversation between Jesus and his disciples as he's preparing them to go away. This is his going away message, kind of uh, close to his last words to them. He's preparing them for his death, but also his eventual ascension back to heaven. And they don't realize at this point that they're not going to have him right here with them for the rest of their lives. They, they're thinking that he's going to restore the kingdom and they're right beside this Messiah and he's going to bring this powerful kingdom to bear. But they don't understand that he's not going to be with them. See, they're at the Passover meal here in this farewell discourse. The end is near and Jesus is starting to sense their fear and their confusion of his friends. And if you look back at the end of chapter 13, Peter actually asks him, he says, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? And Jesus, that's why he launches into chapter 14 where he starts to tell them, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I sum up the first part of this farewell discourse, essentially he's saying, you're going to need to have faith in me or you're going to need to believe in me in my absence. This is essentially what he's saying. And he says the one who believes in him will do the works that he does, but the one who believes will also do greater works. So whoever believes in Christ, he's saying, is going to do greater works than they had seen him do. So the natural question is, Jesus, wait a minute, what do you mean by greater works? How are they going to do greater works than you did? Jesus fed thousands of people. They say up to fifteen to 20,000 conservatively, if you count men, women, and children, on the hillside with just a little boy's lunchbox. He fed the five, the four. Uh, I mean, he was just doing all kinds of miracles. He walked on stormy seas. He healed people with just a word. Sometimes he wasn't even in their presence, and he spoke the word, and the people would be healed, and their servants would like arrive back at home, and they would find the person healed. He raised dead people to life. I mean, these are great, great works. So how are they going to do greater works than him. 
Well, I don't think when he says greater works that he means more miraculous works, like bigger things in power, you know, and those sorts of things. I think when he says greater, he means it basically in two ways. The first way is this, greater in extent, in reach. And here's what I mean. If you think about it, Jesus did an incredible thing. He, he left heaven and came to earth, and he essentially traveled with the same 12 guys. You know, he had sent out the 70, so he had another circle outside of that, and then there was a little bit bigger crowd so that would follow him. But he basically came to one place and lived in one area his whole life and then died and rose back to his father. But when he goes away and he sends the Holy Spirit, what's going to happen is the ripple effect of the Holy Spirit coming down like a rock hitting the pond. That Holy Spirit power is going to cause the gospel to go way further out than just the, the areas of Capernaum and Jerusalem and places like that. So greater in extent, but I think also it's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit in them being an incredible new work. See, the world had never seen this before. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on someone for a period of time to like perform some deed or to make some kind of craft for the temple, but there was never this sense of permanent indwelling in the Christian because the Holy Spirit had not been given in this sense. So you need to understand, when Jesus is saying these statements, salvation had always been like a future reality. Like it was promised. Like think about Hebrews chapter 11. Like all of them, it says they did not receive in this life what they had hoped for. Future reality was their salvation. It's always an out there thing. You had to wait for it. But now after Jesus does his cross work, What's going to happen when he's finished and he says it is finished is the apostles are going to offer something that has never been offered to the world. They're going to offer the ability to receive Christ and have the Holy Spirit living in here. And this new and living way is opened to the Father. That had never been the case before. Remember, before Christ, they were offering sacrifices, the Jews were, and somebody had to go in on their behalf. But when Jesus does that as our high priest, permanently, this new living way, Hebrews tells us, was open to the Father through Jesus' death. And so because the debt was paid, salvation was secured. It wasn't just potential. It wasn't just out there for us to work our way towards. It was secured for those who would be called, the Bible tells us. And so it wasn't just out there. Now it is here. Like we belong and we're a part of the kingdom of God. And so the greater work was the promise of the Spirit of God indwelling and sealing us from the very moment we are saved. If you want me to squash all that down for you and put it very simply, it's, it's essentially this. The disciples are going to pick up where Jesus left off and they're going to reap all the fruit and all the benefit of what he did through the cross, through the, through the resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. And so he, his ministry, earthly ministry stopped and they're going to pick up and everything takes off. That's why you see everything explode in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit comes, the promise is they're going to be his witnesses and that's what happens. And so you say, well, why do you need to tell me all that to explain what praying in Jesus' name is? Because I want you to understand the context of what's happening here because it shapes the way you understand Jesus' statement in verse 13. If you rip it out of context... <laughs> You know, and you just kind of wave it around like a coupon. You guys remember those? I know we like to do digital coupons. I was thinking about that after I put it in my notes and I thought my mom used to cut coupons, but I'm not even sure anybody does that anymore. But if you rip it out of its context, you're basically offering a health and wealth prosperity gospel promise to somebody and saying, hey, anything you want, just put in Jesus name on it, rubber stamp it, and then he'll give it to you. Right. That's not what this is about. So what does it mean? Very simply, and if you have a study Bible, you can answer this question in much quicker time than I'm giving you. But 
Praying in Jesus' name is praying in line with who God is. It's praying in line with what God is doing. It's not praying to win the lottery. It's not praying to go on the prices right and win a new car. It's kingdom praying that lines up with Jesus' name. See, this is the important part. Jesus says prayer in my name is what he's going to do or give. So in ancient times, way, way more than now, we just pick names that are cool or we like them or, you know, they hadn't been picked in three decades or something and we're going to try to bring it back with our kid. But in ancient times, a person's name had deep meaning. It told you who they were. It told you what they were like. It said something about their character and their purpose and a parent would name the child that, kind of forecasting their future, their direction for the child. So when you pray in the name of Jesus, you need to know what his name is about. You're asking God for things that are in line with who he is and what he does, his character and his will. So if you go to James chapter 4, don't turn there, just write it down. But you go to James chapter 4, he says to us, we don't receive what we pray for because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with wrong or skewed motives, not aimed at the glory of God, or in other words, not in the name of Jesus, not according to his will. So that leads to an obvious question. How in the world do I know God's will? Like, is it some kind of mysterious secret and I've got to figure out what his will is before I can actually pray in his name? Do I have to do that work first and kind of do my detective work? That's not it at all. His will for us has been revealed in large measure right here in his word. You have the revealed will of God in his word. And I I think it was Sinclair Ferguson who said, at conferences and church, churches where he speaks, people come to him and say uh, all the time, how can I know the will of God for my life? And he hands them their Bible. And where's your Bible? And he hands them their Bible. And he says, read this. This is God's revealed will for your life. You say, well, what about all the other stuff, like who I'm going to marry and what job I'm supposed to pick and like all those sorts of things. Here's the deal with that. There is for sure a secret will of God that he knows that we don't. There is a plan that he's going to bring to pass in your life. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Not to us. Doesn't say that last part, but not to us. They belong to him. There are things that we will never know and never understand. And they're not yours to know and not mine to know and understand. Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways are what? Higher than our ways. Like you hear that all the time. When we're confused and we don't know what's going on, somebody will say, hey, Isaiah 55 right here, his ways are higher than ours. Don't worry about it. It's not that you're not supposed to worry about it, but there is a sense in which you have to let God be God. Martin Luther said that to his congregation when they were saying, we're praying, we're praying, but we're not getting anything from God. We're not getting answers to our prayers. He said, we need to let the Lord be the Lord. And so there are certain things God has revealed to us in his word. It's called his revealed will. And so how do you know the will of God for your life? You read the book. You, re- you get familiar with this book. I'll tell you guys what I'm doing right now. <clears throat> I want to hit pause on my sermon time right here in front of me because this is extra. But I'm reading the New Testament in 30 days. And Carrie goes, how in the world are you going to benefit from reading that? I've never seen the New Testament like I'm seeing it right now. You know why? Because I'm like immersed in it. I'm, it's like somebody, me sticking my toe in the water versus somebody pushing me in and me like getting submerged in it. Like it's all over me and I'm thinking about it and I'm seeing it and I'm, I'm just imagining like what's happening in different ways. I, I'm learning the word in different ways than I've ever read it. It'd be like if you sat down to watch a movie and you watch one chapter a night. 
Like if you watch one chapter on Sunday night of the movie and then one chapter on Monday night and one on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, it's going to be hard to piece it together. But if you sit down and read large portions of Scripture, right? Matthew 4, 4, right? If you sit down and read large portions of Scripture, you, you get this wider panorama, like you're watching the whole movie at one time of what's going on. And we need to be familiar with the Word of God so that you can take the Word and pray it back to Him so that your prayers are in line with Him. Here's the deal. If you're praying things that God has already said to you, right, through His Word, if He's already said it in here and you're recycling it and you're praying it back to Him, then you know you are praying in line with who God is and what God wants. So let me give you one more quick thought before we turn to some time in prayer. This is from R.C. Sproul. I'll give away this book where it comes from a little bit later this summer. But we need to remember who we're talking to, right? We need to remember who we're talking to when we come before the High King of the universe. We are told to come boldly, right? Hebrews 4, it says, Come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and help in your time of need. You come boldly, but we are not to come arrogantly. So why do I tell you that? There's some theology out there that says you name it and you claim it in the name of Jesus. Here's the deal. That'd be like you walking up to my car, even though it's not worth the like 800 bucks, and you putting your hand on it, you name it, and you say 2003 broken down old Civic. I'm naming it and I'm claiming it. it's mine, right? You're trying to take from me what doesn't belong to you. If I give you the keys, well, wherever they are, if I give you the keys and I'm like, here, here's the keys to my car, you can have it. That's different versus you naming it and claiming it. When you walk around trying to name and claim things, what you're doing essentially is acting like a robber trying to take something that doesn't belong to you. When you pray in the name of Jesus according to his word, when you pray according to his will, here's the different attitude. It's as if you're saying, Lord, if you wish, Lord, as you please, if you want this thing to pass. I mean, what did Jesus say about drinking the cup and wanting to do it some other way? He said, if this is your will, Lord, I'll do it. But if there's some other way, I don't want it. He was even submitting himself to his father. We need to leave room for God to be God. Psalm 37, 4, and I'm done. You guys all know this, right? Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will do what? Give you a million bucks, <laughs> right? I mean, that's some of the stuff you think you would hear when you're watching TV sermons. But it doesn't say that. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is essentially what we're talking about in John 14. Because when you delight yourself in God, when you're in his word and you're immersed in it and you're praying it and you're learning it, memorizing it, and it is the guiding influence in your life, when you do that and you make him your joy, he begins to shape your heart. He begins to change your heart slowly, just like incrementally a little bit at a time. You become more and more like your heavenly father as you read his word. So here's what happens. You begin to love what he loves and you begin to want what he wants. You begin to hate what he hates. You begin to despise what he despises. And so if you love what he loves and you want what he wants, then he promises, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Ezekiel talks about putting a new heart in us. When he puts that new heart in us and he shapes it like his, he's going to give us what our hearts desire if our hearts desire what his heart desires. Does that make sense? And so when God is your supreme joy, when he's what you wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, here I am today. I am yours. I surrender myself to you. I want to be in your word, Father. I want to be with your people. I want to serve you however you desire me to serve you. You pray according to his will or, as we might say, in his name. 
And so prayer in the name of Jesus is prayer that is in line with who God is and what he does. So rather than continue talking about prayer in Jesus' name, I want us to actually spend some time praying in Jesus' name tonight. That's kind of been the intention uh, of this this summer is for us to spend some time praying in his name. And so we know, I've just told you guys, his word is in line with his name. They're not in conflict. And so we're going to pray various portions of Scripture together. And here's how we'll do it. I'm going to open up right now with a short prayer, just something for you to kind of think on, pray on. Uh, And then I want you to take a moment before we start to pray these scriptures and just let your heart kind of settle in. You know, sometimes as somebody's preaching, we're sort of reaching for things and we're taking notes and maybe our minds are a little bit all over and maybe a a story or a cross reference comes in. I want you just to kind of settle a little bit and then we're going to pray some of the scriptures on the screen. So I've got 10 or 12 up there. If we don't make it through all of them, it's all good. But I want you guys to pray the scripture. Um, How many of you have ever prayed the Bible back to God before just quick show of hands so a handful of you so if you're not familiar with it basically what I encourage you to do is to read the passage just read it quietly to yourself and then as you think through that passage anything that God brings to mind that it reminds you of talk to the Lord about what his word brings to mind you can pray it directly back to him but if he, if he brings somebody to mind or a situation uh, I tried to choose different situations that we might be facing just pray those things back to him okay So I'm going to pray, and then um, we'll just take a quiet moment for you guys to settle in, and then I'll lead us through these verses. Father, I thank you for um, this passage in John 14 where we um, come face-to-face with an incredible promise, um, but but it's a promise that has some guardrails, so we can't just run off uh, into oblivion um, throwing your name around cheaply um, and wrongly. Lord, I pray tonight that uh, very simply in a direct way what we've talked about would stick with the students and they would think through uh, what it means to pray in line with who you are and what you are doing. And we know that, that, that we, um, we best understand that through the lens of Scripture. Uh, of course, our experience is uh, a part of that, um, Father, but we want to subject our experience uh, beneath your word we want our, your, your word to be the foundational um, uh, the foundation rather of, of how we understand you how we think Lord how we come before you in prayer and uh, Lord we just want to be uh, word saturated Jesus centered people in our prayer lives and so we're going to take a moment of quiet Father just to be before you and then we'll spend a few minutes praying together Lord we pray you be glorified in this time Trail Magic is a production of the College Ministry of Alliance Bible Fellowship in Boone, North Carolina. For more information, go to abfboone.org. Thanks for tuning in.